Well, I hope everyone had a nice Thanksgiving. As you may know, there are two things you're not supposed to talk about with your family at Thanksgiving, religion and politics. And today we have the perfect feast day, Christ the King, which combines perfectly religion and politics. Christ being our uh, spiritual creator, redeemer, sanctifier, and also our King, the one who rules heaven and earth. The name of our feast today is Christ, the King of the universe. That there can be no pretenders to the throne. Only Christ sits on the throne of heaven and earth. But that prohibition against talking about religion and politics, I think, is quite interesting. Um, I was just talking to a friend of mine this past week who at her office has a Thanksgiving party every year. And she, being the boss, does a prayer or a blessing, one that is as general as possible, respecting all the different religions and faith traditions of the people in her office. But she says, without fail, every single year, someone calls HR and complains about the fact that there was prayer in the office and that was somehow offensive to them. She says, it doesn't matter to me, because every year she says, right before I bow my head to pray, before we eat, I look to see how many people bow their heads, and every year it's more people bowing their heads to pray. And so it's her mode of evangelization. that She's not condemning anyone who doesn't have faith. If you don't feel like praying or if you don't believe in God, feel free to just have a moment of silence. But this kind of aversion to religion or to faith or to even a mention of God is sort of interesting to me. And the fact that it's, in our society, linked to politics, which... I don't want to talk about politics with my family or anyone, really, especially if you know you disagree fundamentally about economics or, or um, political party or whatever the case may be. But why religion? Why the mention of God? Why does that strike a similar nerve? Well, it might be the fact that both topics have to do with who's in charge, who gets to make the rules. Right? Not being able to mention God at a Thanksgiving meal is sort of like not being able to mention mom and dad. God breathes us into existence in every moment. He gives us everything we've ever had, ever could need, ever could be. Everything comes from him. It's like a bunch of sons and daughters sitting at a dinner table which has been prepared by mom. Um, Dad has put this roof over our head. They've given us clothes and food and, and even our very existence. And yet we sit around the table, mom and dad at either end, and we're not allowed to talk about them, much less talk to them. That would be really awkward. But that's what God is to all of us. He's our father, our creator. He's there at every instant in our lives. And yet we say, when I'm at work, I'm not thinking about him. We're not allowed to talk about him. When I'm in politics or when I'm at school or whatever, that God is sort of blocked off. On Sunday, because I chose to be there, it's my personal faith, we can talk about him. But everywhere else, no. It's strange, isn't it? But if Christ is really king, if he really does have authority over heaven and earth, over every aspect of it, not just this room here, but everywhere, up into the heavens and the stars and the planets, down to the earth and the the soil here below and everything in between, then why do we kind of balk at his mention? Why is it awkward? Because he demands to be in charge. He will not be an assistant. He won't be a president running for re-election. He's the king. And we don't like that all the time. In fact, I think you could read the whole Bible 
as a story of the question of who will be king. God in the beginning was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he breathed into existence all that is. First, the angels. All of these choirs of angels who were perfect intelligences, perfect pure spirits, didn't have bodies, but had intellect and will, and worshipped God, beheld him face to face. And there was the one angel, Lucifer, who chose not to serve him. He said, I don't want God to be God. I want to be God. Lucifer was the greatest of the angels, but he said, non serviam, I will not serve. And so God, knowing that some of the angels, including Lucifer and those who followed him, did not want to be with him, because in heaven, God has to be king. That's what makes heaven, heaven. So he said, fine, you can be king, but I'll make you a kingdom that's completely separated from me. And that kingdom's called hell. And Satan rules there. And all those who don't want God to be their king, all of the fallen angels go there. That's the worst kingdom you could possibly imagine. Because God's not there. God doesn't rule. Satan does. And then God breathes into existence all of the world, all that we see. And he makes a king, Adam, and his queen, Eve. And they're meant to rule this world. Not as kings unto themselves, but as viceroys, as it were. With God above them, ruling them. Adam and Eve would rule the world, and God would rule Adam and Eve. And how did he rule us? Through our conscience. This authority within us that we don't create, it's a voice we hear, as if from our inner self, but it's not us. It's God's voice saying, do good, avoid evil, tell the truth, don't tell lies. Use things, love people, worship God. This is this voice in us that when we disobey it makes us feel bad. Right? It's that voice of God within us. But Satan, having fallen from heaven, hates God and even more hates us and wants to trick Adam and Eve into doing the same thing that he did to make, that, made, that has made him so miserable. To be apart from God. To be his own king. And so he tells Adam and Eve, you should make the rules. You should be your own king. He's, look, he's given you all this authority. Eat the, eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Because what it's going to do is going to make you like God. You get to rule. You get to make the, the rules. You'll be in charge. And Adam and Eve do it. And so everything gets mixed up. Everything is messed up. This first usurper to the throne has created even more usurpers to the throne. And now we all do it. We all think the world might be better if God weren't in charge, but if I made the rules. And so what has happened is that Christ has come back to take back his throne. He's come to be king, to do what Adam should have done in the first place. To have the father as the king and Christ as his viceroy, the son, to rule heaven and earth, not by fear or force, but by love. And so Pilate, one of the many kings in the Bible, from uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus the Persian, Caesar, Pharaoh, all of these kings in the Bible that rule by force, even the good kings weren't perfect, Saul, David, Solomon, Jehoiakim, Josiah, there's kings all over the Bible, but none like Christ. Because Christ stands before Pilate after he says, are you a king? And he says, yeah, you say I'm a king. But if my kingdom did belong to this world like your kingdom does, my attendants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. In other words, just like you, if I were a king like you, I would have servants who would die for me so that I would live. 
I'd have all sorts of people willing to go to battle to fight for me so that I could survive. But what kind of king is he? He's the opposite. We don't fight for him. He fights for us. We don't die for him. He dies for us. He doesn't demand servile obedience like a Herod or a Caesar. As a matter of fact, quite the reverse. He demands that we let him serve us. Do you remember Peter at the Last Supper? When Jesus takes off his robe, ties a towel around his waist, and starts to wash the disciples' feet. Peter says, you can't do that. No, I should be washing your feet. Jesus says in no uncertain terms, unless I wash your feet, you will have no inheritance with me. And then Peter's like, fine, wash my face and my hands too. (laughs) He's like, no, you have to let me serve you. You have to let me humiliate myself, even if it humiliates you. Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher, has this great fable that he tells to explain the incarnation of Christ. He says, there was a king who was in love with a peasant woman. And he knew that if he came to that peasant woman asking for her hand in marriage, with all his finery and all his entourage and all his horses and chariots and gold and silver, that she would be intimidated. That she would either A, feel that she was not free, that she had to marry him, that she had no choice because he's king and who am I to say no? Or that she would be afraid, humiliated, feel like, who am I to be married to a king? And so the king, rather than come with all his finery, disguises himself as a fellow peasant and knocks on, his door, knocks on her door and attempts to woo her, to win her heart on her terms, face to face, as an equal. So that if she says yes, then she will inherit everything. She will be the queen. But he has to win her heart on her terms, on her level. What we're going towards in just a few weeks now, through Advent, is Christmas. The coming of the king as an infant, as a baby, as a poor person. He is the king of heaven. He's existed from all eternity. He was there at the creation of the world. But he comes to us as one of us. And this, the last Sunday of Ordinary Time, the last Sunday of the liturgical year, is the fulfillment of that story, that he comes to sit on his throne, finally, and draw all of us to him and with him. So what does it mean for Christ to be the king of my life? How do I become one of his servants, part of his kingdom? It means that not just in here on Sunday, but everywhere I go this week, everything I do, whether in public or in private, Would I be fine with Christ standing right next to me in absolutely everything? Everything that I do in public or private, what if he were standing right there with me? Would I say, okay, this is fine. You you are with me in all things? Because that's what he insists. He insists on insinuating himself in absolutely everything. Or are there some parts of my life where I would say, for a moment, could you stand over there in the other room, Jesus? While I do this, this my own thing that I want to do apart from you. Because he says this to us, that the one rule in my kingdom is that you may not do it alone. You may do nothing on your own. Certainly not sin, but even the good things you do, they're not you who do them. It's I who help you with them. He insists 
on being with us in absolutely everything. To undo that first sin that Adam, that trick that he fell for from Satan, is that maybe the world would be better without God in it if I were king. But that place is hell. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is when God is ruler all in all and has authority, absolute authority, over absolutely everything in my life. 